You ever heard the phrase, take it to heart? We've all heard it. Sometimes in our lives, when someone's mentioned something to us, and they've asked if we've taken it to heart or not. We've told our children, here are the instructions that we have as parents. We want you to not just do it right now, but truly take it to heart and understand why we're saying what we're saying. The unfortunate thing for many of us as believers is that when God says something to us, we claim to take it to heart, but that's not always the case. If you have your Bibles, turn to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2, the title of the sermon this morning is Taking It to Heart. Taking It to Heart. You see, as we've been discussing in the book of Malachi, the priests who were to be representatives between God and others, the go-between, if you will, were to offer on behalf of people the sacrifice before God. And those sacrifices were to be without blemish. Unfortunately, as time went on, these priests were more and more corrupt. And the system itself had been corrupted. Instead of acknowledging their sin, they pleaded ignorance, and God calls them to account. In Malachi chapter 2, as we begin the chapter, it says, And now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Believer, one of the most dangerous things that you and I can fall into is the practice of worship without a heartfelt desire. One of the most dangerous things that we can fall into is telling God that we love him and in our actions denying his very existence. You see, these priests were representing God and their representation was so atrocious that God calls them to account and says that the very things that you've been blessed with are now going to be curses in your life. I want to ask you, believer, have you considered that many things in your life that you consider are blessings that you've truly used for only yourself, could God be using as a curse in your life? Could it be possible that the very things that you strive for, you desire with all of your being, are the very things that God says, you think it's a blessing, it will turn into a curse. And if you and I are not careful, these are the things that will cause us to go astray. These are the very things that will cause frustration and anguish in our hearts. To understand more precisely in this text, the priesthood, the priesthood came from the Levites. The Levites were descendants of Levi, the son of Jacob. Out of those Levites, there were selected priests who were to lead and worship. All priests would have to come out of the tribe of Levi. The high priest was established from Aaron, the brother of Moses, and his sons were to serve as high priests. The high priest was the only one permitted to enter the Holy of Holies once a year to atone for the sins of the people. The mediating role of a priest was very multifaceted. First of all, they were to bring the correct offering before the Lord. You can read all about that in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7. You have the burnt offering, 
which was an atonement and commitment before God, a sacrificial animal fully burnt up. You also had the grain offering, which was also a, an offering of devotion to God, consisted of a bread or wheat to be cooked and to be unleavened. You also had a peace offering. Thanksgiving and commitment to God was emphasized. It was strongly emphasized also that the animal offered must be without blemish, signifying a shared meal with others before God. It was to be a, a group participation. The first three of these offerings were all voluntary. They were not requirements at specific times to be done. The last two, the sin offering and the guilt offering, were requirements when things happened that needed to be addressed. The first one, the sin offering, is for unintentional sin, usually signified by an animal without blemish, and the blood is emphasized as a covering for the people by the high priest. If you're a believer, you'll make that direct connection to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You also have the guilt offering, which is the reparation or trespass offering. This was restoring what was owed to someone before God by repaying that person and also offering this before the Lord. You see, in Jewish custom, when you did wrong by somebody, it wasn't enough to just say sorry if you took something that you shouldn't have. You were to restore it many times tenfold, ten times the amount. These last two, by the way, were mandatory offerings. You did not have an option. You must perform them. They were to be continually offered. But that wasn't the only thing the priests had to do was offer sacrifice. They also had to teach the people God's word. They had to teach the people God's word. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 10 and 11, it specifically lays out what the Levites and the priests' role particularly was. It is not simply to offer sacrifice and making sure they're getting the sacrifice correctly, but to teach them the law of God. Another aspect of their ministry was to maintain purity. You see that in Leviticus chapter 16. So it isn't just that the animals had to be presented a certain way. They needed to make sure that the purity was something that was a part of that community. It had to be something that the congregation participated in. And number four, they were to bless the people. You see that in Numbers 6, 22 through 26. They were to show people that this is what happens when you do what God says and this is what happens when you don't do what God says. What's unfortunate is many priests back then and even many preachers and pastors today will pronounce blessings on things that God is cursing. They pronounce blessings on lifestyles that God is opposed to. They pronounce blessing on things that truly are worthy of damnation. All of these things were to point to God and who he is. It was not to be to their benefit exclusively. The priests and the Levites, they benefited from the sacrificial system as they were able to partake. But it wasn't for their end goal. It was for God's glory. That's what they were called to. God's commandment here is essentially specifically to be glorified. There's a lot of debate by commentators as to what is he talking about. I think if you look at the context, there's something here in mind. 
In Malachi chapter 1, if you look back, there's a phrase in verse 5 that says, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. Then you drop to verse 11 in Malachi chapter 1, you see, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Then you look at the second part, the last part of verse 11, for my name shall be great among the nations. Then you see in Malachi 1, 14, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. I believe what's really at stake here is God's greatness and God's glory. And essentially God is saying, you're not giving me the honor that is due. You're choosing not to give glory where it belongs. My great name will be exalted, not just in this nation, but among all nations. Believer, your goal is not just to make Christ known in your church, that he is king, but to the nations. And no, you don't need to be post-millennial to do that. It's a biblical truth. Christ is king. He rules over all of creation. Did you know, by the way, that just because this is mentioned in the Old Testament doesn't mean that you and I are off the hook because we didn't perform these exact duties? You might be wondering, well, that's Old Testament. What does that have to do with me? I'm glad you asked. I hope you actually have that question in mind. Did you know that if you are a follower of Jesus, you are considered a priest? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, here's what it says. This is to believers. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Believer, you're a priest. If you're a child of God, you are called to be a representative of his. And some of those offerings that you ought to offer on, on behalf of others are those prayers for those that are in sin, those that are struggling, those that are far from God. You have a great high priest. You and I don't have that role. That is exclusively Jesus' role. But we are called to be priests, meaning that we are to follow his example. We are to follow in his footsteps. When God is calling out the priests here in Malachi, realize that there may be some things you and I need to be paying attention to here. You are called to a higher standard than you may have even considered. You see, you're reading that text in Malachi and going, my goodness, that standard's very high. The problem with modern day Christianity is they assume that the standards of God were higher in the Old Testament than the New Testament. When the truth is completely the opposite. Because Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit who indwells believers today. Who gives us the tools necessary to perform the function of priest as he's called us to. We are called to a higher calling. 
It's such a higher calling that when you see when Jesus gets asked about, what about this commandment? What about that commandment? What about adultery? Jesus goes, it's beyond what you think. If a man looks at a woman in lust after he's committed adultery, the standard is actually much higher than you and I many times consider. The call to discipleship, discipleship is a hard call. And yet so many, many take it so lightly as if they can do whatever they would like and please just as these priests did. Before you start judging and condemning what these priests did, realize that you now as a role before God are a priest. How are you doing? How have you represented him? Have you represented him well? And think of it in different categories. Have I represented the Lord Jesus Christ well to my family? Have I represented the Lord Jesus Christ well to my friends? Have I represented the Lord Jesus Christ well to those that work with me? Have I represented the Lord Jesus Christ to those that I would consider enemies? You and I ought to stand amazed at who God is. And unfortunately, a lot of Christians have such a pathetic view of who God is. That's the reason why people around us don't even realize that we stand with Jesus. We hide our light, don't we? We truly do not shine as lights as we ought to. And believer, don't fall into this trap. I think this is a trap that many of us fall into by default. Well, I better not say anything because you know I'm not consistent in my life. That's not the point. You're never going to be consistent in every area of your life. You won't. The areas of your life that you need to repent, that you need to resolve, you need to work on those things with the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you need other people's help, you need to have that. What you don't do is, because I'm a sinner, I shouldn't share Jesus with anybody else. That's the reason you should share Jesus with everybody else. He's a great Savior. We're wretched sinners needing grace. You and I don't see him as we should when we minimize his glory in our lives. Believer, I want you to rework certain things in your life and truly bring it under a biblical worldview. And what I mean by that is everything that you find enjoyment in this life, and there are things that God gives us freely to enjoy in this life. Time with family and friends is something that we should enjoy. Time playing games with people, hanging out, talking, discussing different things. Those are all things that we ought to enjoy, but in light of enjoying those things, always remember that you do all of those things to the glory of God. I mean, the very simple things that Paul, the apostle, reminds us of, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. It all needs to align there. The very things that you're like, how does this bring God glory? It can and it should. You see, the truth is, as we brought up earlier, we ought to make sure that we offer the right advice from Scripture. Not just what seems to be the case at, at the time for us. Our goal should always be to point people to God and His ways. And that's why we ought to know the Bible ourselves. 
Let me, let me put it this way, believer. If all you know of Scripture is what you learned 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you haven't grown all that much. Your ability to help other people is going to be limited by that knowledge. And unfortunately, a lot of people fall into this trap. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not somebody that's called to ministry. You are a priest. That's a high calling. Your ability to help another person will be limited by the amount you personally know of God and how he's revealed himself in his word. In the areas that your knowledge and personal example is lacking, you will offer others potentially very dangerous advice in an attempt to help them. Which is one of the reasons why, believers, it's so important for us to be consistent in practicing what we preach. Brothers and sisters, when I preach to you about marriage, I ought to live that in my life. When I preach to you about certain things that Scripture says here, the goal should always be, Father, am I aligned in your will on this? You see, the truth is you don't go to a broke person for sound financial advice, do you? And if you do, the only advice you can get is what not to do, right? It's probably not the person to go to to really think of the long-term planning that you need to do in life. You probably wouldn't go to a child for advice on how to parent, Although, in today's culture, I think that might be the case. Honey, how would you want me to deal with you? We have it so backwards today. Do not ask an office worker for advice in the machine shop. I know, this is one that gets people ruffled sometimes. Have you ever seen these uh, businesses that operate with office workers and those that work in the machine shop or, you know, the actual building of that whatever it is, a bus, car, or whatever it is, you have that disconnect, right? Office tells you certain things, and they're like, well, they don't even do any of that. Theory is different than practice, isn't it? Unfortunately, some of us, we harp only on theory, and some of us only harp only on practice. They both are important, by the way. It's not always good to practice until you get it right, because you could be messing up a lot, right? Theory is important, but theory alone is not going to always do the work. You see, when we lose reverence for God, we will sin grievously against him. God's glory should matter above all else in our lives, even at the expense of our own self-interest. You have to ask yourself, the moments of my life when I really do want to do something for myself and God called me to do something for him, wasn't it rewarding at the end of it? Aren't some things a little more comfortable sometimes to do than the things that God calls you to? I mean, let's be honest, right? Certain things, they take a lot more effort, don't they? Like, more time is needed to do what God wants us to do in this area. R.C. Sproul says this, We do not segment our lives, giving some time to God, some to our business or schooling, while keeping parts to ourselves. The idea is to live all of our lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the honor and glory of God. That is what the Christian life is all about. Now, continuing to Malachi chapter 2, verse 2. If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, 
I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you did not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants and spread refuse on, their, on your faces and refuse on your solemn feasts, and one will take you away with it. There's a serious warning here to the priests that do not take to heart what God is warning them about. Priests were not taking it to heart, which means they were just doing the religious practice without any heart's affection towards God and doing what he says. You see, you can have emotions, but it not truly be the inward heart. It's demonstrated week after week from people who are expressive in their worship service but sink further into sin during the week. Oh, we have a lot of churches where people are very expressive in their worship. I mean, they're very expressive. The question is, are their lives getting holier during the week? There are people that are genuinely worshiping God. I'm not, I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to those that emotionally express that they love God or are excited about Him. But in their everyday life, the changes are not there. They are stubborn in certain areas. They refuse to change by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's knocking at their heart's door and they refuse to change. If God is not the motivation for your worship, then other things will take his place. Including self-worship. What I want, what I think I need, what others should think of me, etc. Fill in the blank. We worship ourselves a lot more than we'd like to admit we do. There's one of the reasons why when someone doesn't talk to us or doesn't say something to us, we assume the worst sometimes, don't we? You see, God pronounces a curse which was already in effect in their lives on the very blessings they had. The priests were familiar with the promises of blessings and cursings from earlier teachings of the Torah. There's a chapter in Deuteronomy that spells out in great detail God's blessings and cursings, and I would recommend that you read this for yourself. But we're just going to take a few verses from the chapter. Remember, if Israel did not follow the Lord and his ordinances, this was a portion of the curses that were pronounced. Deuteronomy 28, verses 64 through 67. Here's what it says. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. And that evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. 
In case you're thinking, well, that's the Old Testament. That has nothing to do with me. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 6 in the New Testament. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10, here's what it says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, the truth is, a lot of Christians live their lives mocking God's existence. They claim they believe He is God, but live as though there are no consequences for whatever they do. You and I have a choice every day as a child of God whether we will sow to the flesh or sow to the Spirit. One benefits us temporarily, the other benefits us eternally. Any work you and I do in this life that seems exhausting, but it's done for God's glory, will reap that benefit in due season or due time. Believer, I want to encourage you with something this morning. Sometimes the very things you're struggling really hard to see whether or not you can make it. You're working really hard to provide for your children right now with the economy being as it is. School is a lot more difficult to pay for this year for a lot of families. I'm well aware of that as a principal. And I pray every week faithfully for the parents of our school that they're able to pay for their tuition for their kids because I see how hard it is right now on many people's faces. Believer, if you're doing this for God's glory because you want to raise your kids in a Christian environment, that you want to raise them to be disciples of Jesus, then keep going. It's worth it in the end. In due season you will reap. Due season, it might not be right now. It might be very hard right now. It's hard for a lot of us right now. But it's worth it if God is the aim. The big encouragement in this text is profound. To do good to all, especially other believers. Our goal is to do the most for our other brothers and sisters in the faith. So much of the church gets this backwards. They trash other brothers and sisters in the faith, and they love the world and their friends in it. In an attempt to reach people with the gospel, they destroy the very kingdom partners they have. Which is one of the reasons why I'm careful as a pastor to not discourage the work that God is doing in another church and through another pastor. Because these men are faithfully serving him. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. Can't do it alone. We can't. The church was what Jesus paid for. 
And if you and I don't realize how important this is, we're going to miss out on some of the greatest blessings that God has in store for us. That in this context, Paul brings up the fact that we are to especially do good to those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Those of the household of faith. And so I want to go another step further on this. If you have an ill will or bitterness towards anybody that's a child of God, but you have only good things to say about people in the world, then you're getting this wrong. Your goal is to do the most for other brothers and sisters in the faith. Just as God loves his own, you ought to love what God loves, his children. The problem is that most of God's warnings come with consequences if they're not taken to heart, believer. God gets very descriptive back in Malachi, and it isn't a light point that is made here, by the way. The ESV does a much better job of explaining this text. So for those of you that are like, what is refuse? All right, let's go through this. Malachi 2, verse 3. Yes, this is in the Bible. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Gross. Disgusting. And you know what this is? This is what God is saying in response to their disgusting act of worship before him. Many of us, when we read this, we're like, why would God say that? Because that's the very kind of worship they were offering to him. And he said, I'm pushing that and throwing it back in your face. The very filth that they were offering to God was going to be shoved back in their face. They would be taken out for disposal as the waste itself was to be. Wow, that seems harsh. God, how could you say something like that? That's how serious God takes worship. That's how serious God takes when we represent him inappropriately. That's what God does when we take away from his glory. There was, in a sense, a curse pronounced on their offspring, which implies that they would not be able to continue serving in their roles as priests from the judgments that were pronounced on them, as they were now deemed unclean as the very thing that they were offering. Think of it this way. They offered something unclean to God. God says, you are now unclean yourself. What you offered me is what you are. Do you see why it's important to be holy before God? Oh, God doesn't really care about those particulars. Oh, yes, he does. Be careful to assume that everything is just a trial in your life when something can be a direct consequence from neglecting to deal with sin. And believer, I want to pause for a moment and kind of explain this. 
you have to be careful as we all have a tendency to swing to one of two extremes, and we all swing from one of these two extremes. In this church, I guarantee you, some swing one way, some swing the other. Number one, horrible things are happening because of sin in my life all the time. Like some of us, we always are like, God, where, where am I sinning? Point it out, tell me, I want to fix it. And then the second response, the other extreme, horrible things are happening because I'm doing what's right and it's Satan attacking me. Do you see how those are two different extremes? And here's what's even more fascinating. When a person's arguing one and the other person's like, no, I think it's this one. I've had believers in my own life when God is dealing with something, and I know it's me that's wrong. Like, there's no debate. They're like, oh, you must be doing something. Let's try, God, you know, Satan's attacking you. I'm like, no, it's my sin. I screwed up. I know it is. And I'm not going to excuse it. Believer, you need to be careful that you don't blame the wrong thing. And here's the truth. We don't have all the knowledge, right? Think, think of Job, right? Did Job know all the reasons that God had the things going on in his life? Did Job get clear answers to why everything happened? Here's what's amazing. He had wonderful friends, didn't he? They wanted to give him good advice. Here's why it's happening to you, Job. Were they right? Nope. They weren't right. The truth is you won't always know the reason. But you should pay attention as much as you can. You should have soul searching that goes on. Introspection is good for your soul when you're going through a hard time. To outright dismiss sin can be quite dangerous. Which is why many live ignoring the obvious sins in their lives for years. They claim that they're doing things right when there's an obvious sin that they have not dealt with for a long time. And they're wondering why God is not blessing them. You see, this will be obvious that God was at work to them. God says, when this happens, you're going to know that I was dealing with you on this. He gives them clarity as to what will take place. Malachi 2, verses 4 through 6. Then you shall know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. Here's what's amazing what God does here. And I want you to really kind of listen closely to what's being said here. God is telling these priests, don't you remember where it all started? Don't you remember what you were called to? Don't you remember how I called the Levites? What ministry I called them to? The Levites were a special people called the service of Yahweh. In fact, you see their zeal back in Exodus 32 when the nation made a golden calf that was worshipped instead of God. And it was the Levites that sided with God and Moses. Let's read that text. 
Exodus 32, 25 through 29. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. I don't think when we read these passages of Scripture we take in the backdrop. These are people that opposed Moses and God that the Levites ended up killing. Now you're reading that today in modern Christianity, you're like, my goodness. That seems very strong. Just another reminder to you and me how seriously God takes worship. Seriously enough that Ananias and Sapphira found that out too in the New Testament. These sons of Levi took a strong stance when it came to defending God's name and honor to the point of killing those that refused to worship God among their midst. The same line of Levites had now become corrupt. And they were now guilty of the very things they were opposed to in the beginning. They started offering what God was not good with. What displeased him. Believer, remember this one truth. I mean, some attest that this is John Wesley. Others say he didn't say it. But regardless, the quote stands. What one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. So I want you to be reminded of that as you're raising a family, that what you tolerate, your children may very well embrace as they pass that on to their children. Which is why it's important to keep the standard of God's word consistent. You see, it's encouraging to see Christian parents push back against certain agendas that are creeping up in our schools. For me as a pastor, it's very encouraging to see that. But what is truly tragic and unfortunate is the lack of consistency from those very parents to exemplify the very things they attest to. A Christian parent wanting a child to be raised with a Christian worldview that has very little concern to live that way at home by example in their marriage, personally discipling them, talking through the scriptures at home and bringing them consistently to church where they'll be taught the truths of scripture, they're undermining the very foundation that they're hoping to set for their children. You have parents that are angry about what the schools are teaching their kids, but their response at home doesn't really speak to that. You ever have someone in your life speak very passionately about something and then you're like, 
not sure I see that in your life. I mean, it's great that you're passionate about it, but I don't see what you're doing. We've all been there, done that, right? Passionate about certain things that God wants us to be passionate about, and then eh, we're a little hypocritical in some areas. Not exactly consistent in the very things that we're proclaiming to everybody else. one of the reasons why many parents send their children to private school and figure I paid good money for this that should take care of it nope that should not be the only thing you do it's essentially the lies that fathers fall into well I provide for this family that's enough I've done my duty oh no God calls you to way more than that this excellent advice especially if you are younger if you're listening to this pay attention to this because many have damaged their conscience over time. Isaac Watts says this, Preserve your conscience always soft and sensitive. If but one sin force its way into that tender part of the soul and dwell there, the road is paved for a thousand iniquities. There's something to the innocence of a child that those of us that are adults wish we could go back to sometimes, isn't there? Certain things we wish we were never exposed to. Certain things we wish we never knew. Certain things that if we were to go back and say, where did this originate? It was where we went off in not following the conscience that God gave us. The very things that we used to be adamantly opposed to, we're softer on, aren't we? The very sins that we used to be adamant, no way will I ever allow this we've softened our stance on we need to be consistent as the Levites were originally believer I want to encourage you this morning to go back to the start of your relationship with God because the truth is most of us when we were called from darkness to light we had aspirations to live for God and his glory and the question to us today is what's changed how far off are we today? Are we anywhere near passionate about God like we were when we first believed? Your love for God should grow more in depth, not less. You should not grow cold. You should grow hotter in your faith, if you will. You should be burning with a passion for the things of God. Listen to what verse 6 says in Malachi chapter 2. This is a description of the Levites when they did what was right. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. You see, the Levites showed reverence to God and were able to share God's truth because they were familiar with it. Believer, I want to ask you, how familiar are you with God's truth? And I'm not talking about some generic things that you've learned in Sunday school many years ago. How familiar are you now? How much time did you spend wanting God to speak to you this last week? It should be your priority to both live and speak the truth of God's word. 
Walking the walk and talking the talk should go hand in hand, believer. Notice the last part there. Turned many away from iniquity. You know what the Levites did that many believers need to do more consistently? Is showing others what it means to walk with God consistently and faithfully. And in doing that, encouraging them to follow God and reject the sin in their life. Many believers want to faithfully walk with God without taking care of sin. It's not possible. You see, the Levites knew their calling was to bring people closer to God and call out the sin of the nation. These priests had missed their calling now and were disqualified. Malachi 2, the last part here in verses 7 through 9. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people. Because you have not kept my ways and have shown partiality in the law. The very people that others were to go to, to know what it is that God thinks about anything, were redirecting them to things that were opposed to him. They were causing others to go astray. The priests, they knew better and were a corrupting influence on others. The areas that you are personally excusing sin in your life may very well be a corrupting influence in other people's lives that look to you for direction. I would encourage you this week, just as a reminder to this point, to listen to Casting Crown's song, Slow Fade. Really brings this truth to light. There are things you know God wants you to address and you pretend can still go away after many years. You ever assume that things will go away if you just pretend they go away and realize that it doesn't happen that way? You see, a lot of people believe the lie that time is a healer. No, many times time is a concealer of wounds and scars. Because we've gotten good at hiding them and pretending they're not really there. And just because you're better at hiding it doesn't mean that it's gone away. You see, they departed from the way as so many do today that know better. So many representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ are not living lives that represent him well. They are leading other people astray. They know what God's word says. They know what they're doing is wrong. And they have a temporary acknowledgement of that fact, but they keep on going. Yeah, I know, it's probably not the right thing to do, but you know what? We're, we're all human. 
You see, believer, the very truth that needs to be understood is that we make assumptions that everyone that makes a profession or is baptized must be a believer. And I'm standing here before you to say that that is not the case. There are many impostors in the field of God. There are many that will one day stand before the Lord Jesus Christ himself and say, I've done all this stuff in the church for you. And God's going to say to him and her, depart from me. I never knew you. You that practice lawlessness. The very thing everybody eliminates in that text. Because what you live speaks to what you believe. You see, some of us are so quick to make an impact outside our homes that we don't care to take care of those closest to us. I remember one day, I'm using this example because I think it really connects this point, I had somebody ask me why I was not able to spend as much time with their uh, son because they were going through some things and they needed help. And I told them politely, and it was really hard for me to say this. I said, unfortunately, I want to be honest with you about this. I haven't had as much time as I needed with my own boys recently. God's called me to father my children first. And believers, I know so many of us are passionate to reach others for the gospel. We want to reach other people. But let's start in our homes. That's the area that God has given us to start with. Imagine what our church would be if our families were fully intact. Imagine the impact we can have on the kingdom if husbands and wives are aligned to the mission that God's called them to. If the whole family worships together faithfully. If the love at home is so passionate and strong for the things of God that people can't help but notice that that's a gospel lived out. Perhaps you've read the story, and this is Erwin Lutzer in his title, Learning to Love. He says this, Perhaps you've read the story about a woman and her husband who came to a pastor and said, we're going to get a divorce, but we want to come to make sure you approve of it. There are people who come to the pastor hoping that when they say there's no feeling left in their marriage, the pastor will say, well, if there's no feeling left, then the only thing you can do is split. Instead, the pastor says to the husband, the Bible says you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. He says, oh, I can't do that. The pastor says, if you can't begin at that level, then begin on a lower level. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Can you at least love her as you would love a neighbor? The husband says, no, that's still too high a level. The pastor says, the Bible says love your enemies. Begin there. You see, the last part in the text is the important truth that we must all face, and that is being consistent in the way that we apply the text to ourselves and others. 
The last point that's addressed here in verse 9, he says, Therefore I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality in the law. Believer, be very careful that you do not show preferential treatment to someone simply because you like them more and get along with them better. James warns us as believers about not giving preferential treatment to others, but to judge everyone the same way. In leadership, this is very hard. It's very hard. Because not everyone takes what you say the same way. They don't. You'll say the same thing to one person and another person, and you literally have completely different responses. One thinks it's an act of love, the other one thinks it's an act of hate, and you've said the same thing to both. And they're both equally wrong. A brother and sister caught in sin should be addressed no matter what their status is in the church. There should be no preferential treatment given based on what one can give back in return. Here's the truth that pastors struggle with, and it's a true struggle. If I say something about this, that person may leave, and that money doesn't come into the church. That's what pastors are faced with many times. But what is a pastor called to do? Not show partiality. Means it has to be applied consistently. That's going to make you and me uncomfortable sometimes. The priest's ministry would lose all its authority because they abuse their roles in giving preferential treatment in the application of God's law. This is a serious matter, so much so that when God is bringing a brother or sister to mind that we need to confront on something they've done and offending us or sin that they've committed, we ought to confront it for the good of the body and for God's glory. You're not doing it because you have something to just prove to them. You're doing it because you want them to align with God's word. Believers, it's important for us to realize that when we are confronted as well, it is for our good. And if someone is open with us about what we've done, we ought to take it to heart. It's not pleasant to be confronted for an offense or sin against others. But we need to be constantly reminded of the truth in Proverbs. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says this in the Amplified Version. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful because they serve his hidden agenda. That's one way you can tell whether you have a real friendship or not. Biblically speaking, can you correct that individual? You see, some of you, you've been friends with people for a long time. You've never corrected them about anything, ever. Not once. And you consider yourselves friends. The truth is we're all sinners. We're going to have things that we do wrong. There's no fake it till you make it in the church that works. If it's simply pleasantries, it might not be a true friendship. May God give us consistency in how we take and apply his word. So in conclusion, church, as we wrap up this morning, are you taking it to heart? Are you taking it to heart? 
Are you taking to heart the warnings that we've just read to the priests that defiled the sacrificial system? You stand as a representative of the great high priest, Jesus. Are you taking it seriously as a priest representing him? Do you actively promote the glory of God in your life? His will, his way, above all else. Even when it makes me uncomfortable. Are you mocking God's existence? Do you pretend you're fine going the way you have been far away from home, which is the Father's house? Oh, you're, you're, you're worshiping with us, you join us online, but are you walking right now with the Savior? Are you fellowshipping with the saints? Maybe you've been fooling yourself thinking you're a child all the while you have no remorse over sin. You live with what seems like no consequences, and you claim to be a child of God. J.C. Ryle says this, He that boasts of being one of God's elect, while he willfully and habitually is living in sin, is only deceiving himself and talking wicked blasphemy. You see, the truth is a child of God will be miserable living in sin because there's a Holy Spirit that is gently reminding them over and over of the fact that they're not doing what God would want. Believer, don't assume a little Bible exposure is the cure. There are many who've been exposed to the Word of God who will be left on the outside. The parable of the sower and the seed is proof of that. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then you need to forgive others as he has forgiven you. If you refuse to do that, Jesus actually has a pretty explicit statement about that. Neither will the Father forgive you. And then I know people play games with that. We all want to be, does he technically really mean this? Well, when you enter glory, you really might want to be careful when you ask him that then. What are the areas in your life that are fractured because you refuse to forgive someone else? You should seek to restore a relationship with both God and others. Believers, sometimes the harder part is owning sin to others, which shows us how low a view of God we really have, don't we? It's easier to confess to God than to confess to our spouse, to confess to that brother or sister in the church that we've done wrong. Oh, I'll just confess it to God, that'll take care of it. No. In fact, that's one of the reasons in the Old Testament you see the offering that's offered for restitution because you were to offer your part to God, but you were still to make it right with your brother. You were still to make it right with your brother. Brothers and sisters, Adrian Rogers said, sin is not just breaking God's laws, it is breaking his heart. Let's take to heart the warnings that we read this morning. Mm -hmm.